Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 165, where in a moment we welcome another guest expert, Adam Walkham, on the subject Plan for Happy. That's in just a sec, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, we featured, well, loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills, powers of attorney, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last time, we chatted investment and pension charges. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and here's the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, Plan for Happy is a great title. We'll find out more about what that is exactly after we meet our guest for this episode, Adam Walkham. Adam... uh, Fill us in on sort of the then till now. What's your background? Uh, So I'm Australian originally, John. I moved over here in 2000. My background originally was sitting on a trading floor in an investment bank in the city. So I've spent the first 10 years of my life doing that, um, and which is very much the, the sort of early 2000s city lifestyle. So not getting much sleep. Markets were going up generally until 2008 when they stopped going up very quickly. And then, you know, but that was really my learning experience of understanding how markets work and how investing works. And then, but around 2010, I decided that I'd had enough of the city. So I became a management consultant uh, for a couple of years, which was a fantastic experience, but one I chose not to continue too quickly because ultimately I had always wanted to help people. And I think back in my city days, the idea of helping someone was helping a hedge fund manager buy another Ferrari, which as you can imagine, probably feels a little bit soulless after a little bit of time and so during that time as I said I learned a lot about markets and finance and investing and how they work and so I thought it came to around 2013 I thought how can I do how can I use this in a way that actually helps people and that started my financial planning journey from there. That's brilliant. I know. Thanks very much for for coming on, Adam. It's great to to have you on the podcast. I know I set up my firm just over 10 years ago a similar sort of time to yourself, but what kind of prompted you to, to set up the business? Was it just the, like a drive to, to help people? Was that the, the sort of thing that, that prompted you there? Yeah, it was something that, look, when I was on the trading floor, understanding the intricacies of markets and how markets work and investing and things like that, so much of the detail that goes on there and what happens in investing is not actually in the textbooks. And in fact, sometimes it's totally the opposite of what the textbooks tell you it is, i.e., I mean, how many things in the world exist that when it go, when things get cheaper and go on sale, people run away scared. But that's what happens with share prices and that's what happens with investment markets. Yet you put that in any other context and it doesn't work. So there's a lot of theory and understanding about markets that it just doesn't translate to normal human behavior. And so the idea of understanding that and and the and I've, I got a good understanding of that early because I had some I worked with some great people and wanting to sort of transpose that information to to normal people to help them build out and, and build a successful finance, uh, build their own successful personal financial situation. 
because ultimately finance can be scary. Finance can be confusing. And I think look, the industry take, should take a fair bit of blame for that because it, there's a lot of marketing stuff out there, which is just wrong. But at the end of the day, if, if we can continue to hold our costs below our income and then put the right things in the right spots, there is no reason why anybody can't have, you know, a frankly successful financial plan. And that was kind of going back. That was my belief very early in the days and still my belief today. Now, not only have you got your own business, but a podcast as well, and you're an offer. Let's take a look at that because that's the, the title grabber of the show today, Plan for Happy. So give us an oversight of the book and, and then we can dive a little deeper. Sure. So um, look, it's just, the book really was something that actually has been, I feel like has been built for years now because ultimately every time I have an idea about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to work with clients and those sort of things, I, I wrote it down and I'd sometimes put out a marketing blog, I put out a blog post or something like that. But ultimately, I think really what I wanted the book to reflect was you know, planning your personal financial, you're, you're planning your personal finances is so important. Everyone needs financial planning help. They just haven't realized they needed it yet or they need it yet. And that's really kind of where the most, where most people are. And so the idea of the book is the principle of you can come and see me or you can go see Phil or you could go see another financial planner and they will take you through the process. And that frankly, they will do the best possible job of getting you to effectively maximize your position as at today. And a financial planner will do any financial planner will do that. But not everyone can a afford that because obviously financial planners have to charge fees uh, or b particularly wants to do it or they would prefer to do it themselves so what this book is is effectively take someone through our process or my process when i begin working with clients so from the first initial discussions around our philosophies how we think about markets how we think about planning what they should focus on to actually then this specific action points and details of things they can go ahead and do themselves to effectively put themselves in a position that would be very similar to where they would be if they'd been through our full process or perhaps even Phil's full process. Well, one thing I was keen to find out more, Adam, in the book, I think it, it touches on things like how your upbringing and, and background can determine the, the way you think about money. How, how can you change that if you need to? I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. And I think this is important because, A, this is not talked about often enough at all in terms of where our philosophies, internal philosophies or how we think about money comes from. And I, I'm quite open in the book in terms of my background. And my background has was very much up and down along the way. And I had a father who was, let's say, rather entrepreneurial. And that worked on some occasions and it didn't work on other occasions. And I think many people who come from you know families or families who launch businesses know and recognize in me that really was uh, uh, was stemmed the kind of desire a to not I, that was very I felt very volatile at the time and so a it sort of impacted my career choice in terms of I wanted to come out of this and help people not go through the same volatility and ups and downs that I went to but b it also really instilled in me the kind of the um, drive to not make my family go through that. And so what did I do? I started a business. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but in the same point, I started a business around financial planning. But then obviously, it, it's a business where you can be stable, you can make sensible decisions, you can do things slowly and carefully along the way. 
But going back a step, people go through, have different philosophies and interpretations of how they feel about money. Some people are savers, some people are spenders, some people are mixed in between. And if we have an understanding, an understanding about why we're, why we're like that personally, and if we can link that back to our upbringing, it gives us the best possible chance to how we can effectively work within those boundaries of who we are going forwards to be successful because, all right, here's an example. So if we know we're a spender, if we know that we like, I don't know, we like clothes or we like shoes or we buy cars every year or something like that. Okay. But we also know at the same point that if we continue to do this in a, in, in a, in a random way, there is going to be no money left at the end of the day, because ultimately you, you potentially will overspend what you earn or what you have. So if we understand that we are happy to spend, why not? And this is this is part of the process in the book where you talk about putting uh, putting together a savings plan. Why not create some savings pots? So one of those savings pots is going to be for you know saving for something in the future. The other savings spot, actually, we're going to call spend. And you think, well. But that spend pot is for you. And that might be, you pick a number. It might be 500 pounds a month. It might be 200 pounds a month. It might be 1,000 pounds a month, whatever. You've picked a number, but that is your free spending pot. Go for it. Spend that every month. It doesn't matter what you spend it on. It's for you. And so the idea what you're doing is you are instilling some sort of discipline on yourself in terms of, okay, you're giving yourself an amount to spend, but you're also letting your un, you're letting your personality dictate how you spend that money because that's you. And so that's it's kind of utilizing who we are as people and understanding who we are as people and then utilizing that in helping us go forwards in the best possible way. In a way, Adam, this seems from the outside looking in as something that sounds almost too good to be true. And I'll compare it to dieting books where you see the bump from the back cover and it reads, we'll teach you how to eat the food you love and still reach your weight goals. You know, your version is how to plan your spending in a way that controls your budget, but allows you to buy all the important things you want. Let us into that a little bit, if you can. Spending, it is amazing. Again, this goes back to the psychology. And spending for spending's sake is much easier when you don't have an offsetting goal. So you think about that. You can go and buy, I don't know, new pair of tennis shoes, new pair of tennis shoes, new pair of running shoes, whatever. You can spend whatever you like on it. It's up to you. If you have 500 pounds sitting in your account and you just, and, and if that's just sitting there with no reason for sitting there, if you've got no goal around that money, then you're just probably going to spend the money. If you've thought about it and you say, right, I want to put a deposit on a flat within five years time. And I know that. And I know I, I want to save roughly 25,000 pounds to put a deposit on a flat in five years time. That 500 pounds in your account takes on a whole different context. That 500 pounds is not, oh, I've got 500 pounds in my account. Look, let me just spend it. That 500 pounds is a step towards your goal of 25,000 deposit for a flat. So the goal and the, puts it in a, puts that money in a lot of, in a whole different context about what that money is can be used for because ultimately money is finite and all money does is allow us to use it for buying things and or buying experiences but it's up to us and our personalities to determine which are the most important things to buy is it the new pair of running shoes or is it 
the flat in five years' time. And so it's, it, once we have an understanding of that, and this is where the planning comes in, once we have an understanding of our priorities, both in the long-term, medium-term and short-term, that money then that's in the account, we think, okay, that's going to go towards there. That's my priority. So it's not a case of having your case, you know, it's not a case of the idea of, you know, saying you can do it all. You can't do it all. You can only do what's in your, what's in your bank account at that point and what income you earn. But it's prioritizing in our own minds what that is, is really important to us. And that then helps drive that behavior. I mean, there's a quote in the in the book, which I really liked, which is, it says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Hmm. And that's the principle. Really. It's about once you've got an idea, you plant an idea in your mind, then it's really hard for that idea to come out of your mind. And if you know, if you plant that idea saying, all right, this is really where I want to go and you've committed to it, then that's the direction. And internally, our minds shift priorities around how we want to achieve it and what we can do. So what was important previously becomes far less important. I mean, frankly, as anyone who knows who has children, you know that that just happens naturally. What was important previously, going out on a Friday night to restaurants, becomes far less important when you've got children because, frankly, you can't go out. <laughs> so <laughs> you end up staying in, staying in with a curry and watching Strictly, you know. And that's just as much fun, frankly, but it's just different. When you were speaking about mindset, we, we did a, a podcast just a couple of weeks ago on, on winning with your finances, and it was all about mindset and how to try and change your mindset. And it's funny, one of the things that I do every day, I write down a list of things that I'm grateful for, but I write it as though it's already happened. So, for example, I'll, I'll write down that I'm so happy and grateful that the business has turned over more than X amount, but it's an amount that we haven't achieved yet. And it's almost to try and trick my mind into to that. And I write down my wins every day. So I, there's there's certain things that I'm just getting into this. I, I call it championship habits is what I kind of call it. But what I'd love our advisors to do here is to to, to kind of incorporate that into the, the financial planning as well. That, that's something that I think is would be great kind of for our guys to to do going forward. You, you spoke about kind of matching sort of short, medium and long-term kind of goals there, Adam. And one thing I've heard you mention before was how to let the stock market do heavy lifting. Yep. What do you mean by that kind of phrase? So look, it's it's... When we look at historical asset performance, and I'm talking over what, the history of markets that we, we, we've we got data that goes back probably around about 120 years on, on stock markets as such, for bonds and gold and cash, whatever, it goes back 500, 600, 700, even longer sometimes in terms of the value. But in our modern world, so since the, the birth of global stock markets, if you look at JP Morgan um, do a guide to the markets, which comes out every quarter, I think, which is fascinating. And they look at the historical guide to the markets. And over the last 120 years, if you put a pound in and, and left it in cash 120 years ago with interest, that's now worth, guess what? Two pounds. If you put it into bonds, that one pound 120 years ago is now worth four pounds albeit it was a little higher up until the last 12 months. If you put a pound 120 years ago into the global equity markets, it's now worth 386 pounds. <laughs> you know, it's enormous. It's exponentially higher. And the point is that global stock markets are made up of the best companies in the world 
And those companies are designed to be accretive to shareholders. They are designed to contribute value and grow and increase the value for their shareholders. And the idea of stock market investing and share investing and investing in general is not something to be scared of. It's yes, it's volatile. Yes, it's going to have up and downs. And yes, at some point, the value of your investment probably will be lower than what you put in. And that's fine because that's how it's designed to work. And so the idea of doing having letting markets do heavy lifting is we market basically the theory is markets go up full stop we just need to give them a long enough to do that and so that's why the idea of the long-term plan most of our long-term investment plans and long-term recommendations are 100 equity funds because the idea of okay that money there and let's say we're dealing with a client who's 45 Right. So you've got a 45 year old client and they've got some money and some ices. They've got some other, you know, cash and they've got some pensions. And so we'd split that out and say, okay, let's look at those pensions, Mr. Client. Those pensions, you're realistically not going to touch for 20 years plus. Those pensions, because you're not going to touch those for 20 years and you're going to contribute some more along the way, that should be 100% equity because that's where you're going to get the best growth profile for that. But that's going to be volatile, and that's okay because as we, if you understand that it's volatile, then we can understand that if yes, it's going to get a little bit scary at some points. It always does, but that's fine. It's long-term money; it's going to bounce around. Go back a step, medium-term money. Okay, this might be they want to do a renovation in five, ten years, in ten years' time. Maybe there's some school fees, something like that. Okay, for that risk, we know it's success, for for that pot, we know the money is going to be needed in a shorter period of time. So we don't take on the 100% equity risk because the, that creates volatility. And so we want the, the the fund to be less volatile at the expense that we know that potentially we'll have a slightly lower growth rate. That's fine. Again, it's just accepting what these are facts that, that exist in markets. So we generally put that in maybe into something like a 60-40, which is a, like a balanced type fund, which is 60% equity, 40% non-equity. It could be bonds, cash, property, gold, whatever. And then even shorter, short term, you know, if, if someone's going to need to do or wants to, uh, I don't know, go on a trip to New York in next year or put a deposit on a property next year, because that's such a short time, any upside versus downside they're going to get by investing that money is just going to, is, is the risk return on that is, is so low, that money should just be in cash. And especially today with cash paying you half decent rates. So there's no point taking on investment risk for short-term money because you could turn around and, and Murphy's Law says the day before you need the money, markets drop 20, 20%, boom. And then you've evaporated that. And that's that. Whereas if you just left it in cash, yes, you might miss out on 10% rise in the market, but you've got 4% guaranteed just by sitting in cash. So when we talk, when we think about our planning and when we think about planning out clients financial lives, I thought we find it really helpful to split in that short term and long term. And as look, as someone who's grown up on, as I said, on a trading floor, understanding how markets work and understanding that the idea that the, the markets and, and especially using, I mean, we, we have a bias, we use index funds, but using index funds, you get access to the best, biggest and best well-managed companies in the world. And so why not get some exposure to that? Going back to the book for for a second, I've seen it described as a, a, a personalized financial planning session in your back pocket, let's say. What do you need yep. then to plan for happy? Where's the starting point in the journey, Adam? 
Well, the starting point, I mean, it's a good question because the starting point is, okay, what's your happy? What, you know, what do you define as your happy? Where do you want to be? Let's imagine, close your eyes. Uh, imagine 20 years time, you are retired in inverted commas or not working, or maybe you are working, whatever. But in 20 years time, describe in quite specific detail, what are you doing with your day? Where are you? What did you do in the morning? Who are you with? What did you do at lunchtime? What are you doing in the afternoon? What are you doing that evening? All of these things. And if you can describe, and so for example, for one person, this might be, all right, I am in, when I am 67, I am waking up in my house in rural France. And I, in the morning, I'm riding my bike around France. I'm then doing some consulting work for an hour or two. I'm then having lunch with my wife. And in the afternoon, I am then going and to the beach and doing some kayaking. And in the evening, I'm out with some friends. Okay. And so that's usually, there's someone's random perfect day. Okay. Then unpack that and think, okay, what do we need to do to get there? Well, you've got to you mention they've got a small consulting business. Right. They've got a house in France, clearly. They've got enough money to fund that particular lifestyle, which includes going out, includes buying sea kayaks, includes all of those things. And once you've kind of established that, you can start you, the goal. You can start putting some numbers onto that goal. Okay. And what, what is that roughly going to cost? And then once you've got that, you then start working backwards from there all right, okay, so if that's the goal, that's what that's going to cost. Let's work backwards and see what's our starting point today. Now, all right, so that, that's the big picture thing. And that's, frankly, that's what we do that, as, as financial planners, and that's how we help our clients. But also, I think, you know, for anyone reading the book, that's the first place to start. Can I just highlight one specific thing, one specific action that all, any listener I would highly recommend is, is a really easy first thing to go and do. And this is, and nobody does this, and it's ridiculous that nobody does this. And that's simply check your pension. And pension, when you mention pensions to someone, as Phil, I'm sure you know this, most people, eyes, their eyes glaze over when they hear the word pension. For most people, their, their, their pension comes through once a year, they open the envelope, they look at it, they turn it upside down, they kind of think, well, is that up or down? I don't know. They put it in the back drawer and it's done. But for people's pension, anyone's pension, pension is the second biggest asset most people will own in their life. And think about that. It's the second largest asset. I mean, how much how much time do people spend on like cars and phones and you know whatever shoes, clothes? Yet the big the second biggest asset most people own is their pension, and most people fundamentally ignore it. I mean, I think it was Nest said ninety percent of of their which is one of the biggest auto enrollment pension schemes ninety percent of their members are still in the default fund that they were set up with. I mean, that's just criminal. People just ignore it. So, for if for an idea for everybody, take a look at your pension. If you are forty five and under and therefore you're probably not going to touch that pension for let's say 20 years it does not need to be in a default fund with diversified with bonds with cash with other stuff because you are at risk of effectively significantly underperforming you are at risk of that money running out and don't get me started on lifestyling either and that's that's for another story but the idea of have a look at what funds are available and potentially 100% equity fund is going to be, if you're 45 and under, there is no particular reason why you can't look at 100% equity funds, because that will give you the growth, a lot, the, the best chance of growth over time. Now, caveat, it's going to be volatile. It's going to bounce up and down along the way. 
but you know what? You can't touch it. You, you can't access the money. So you don't get to, you're not going to pull the money out. So that's okay. Markets will recover. Markets always recover because, and this is for the conspiracy theorists out there, it's in everybody's incentive for markets to recover. Governments, bureaucrats, governments, big business, everybody owns assets. And guess what? The more powerful they are, the more assets they own. Everybody wants asset prices to go higher. It's the great unwritten rule of, of, of investing. It's in nobody's interest for asset prices to, to fall considerably over time. And so we've seen it in the past 20 years with any crisis that comes along, central banks and governments, the cavalry arrives when there is a disaster. And we've had many disasters and we will have more disasters. But when asset prices fall quickly and fall significantly, governments and central banks are very happy to provide considerable support to let that bounce happen. So it's using that. So back a step, one action people can do, check your pension. What fund is it? It is, is it invested in? Is that a good fund? What charges are you paying? Can you find a 100% equity index tracking fund with low charges within your pension scheme? There, when, when you say take action, that, that's one of the things like people will read books and it'll maybe suggest to do certain exercises, but they often don't take the action. And that, that's part of the, the thing. We, we did a good podcast again a couple of weeks ago on, on marginal gains. And when that one was out, I kept saying it's like just do small things at a time. So you might think, right, first of all, check your, your pension or contact a financial planner. And it is just that small steps can lead to, to kind of big changes overall well that's absolutely right and the idea of we talk about the idea of achieving your goals versus ending up not achieving your goals is the difference between taking active decisions and letting things drift because if you let things drift and uh, you know you end up in a bad place it's not because you've woken up all of a sudden one day and things are just terrible i guarantee if you end up in another good place and whatever scenario we're talking things have got progressively worse over time because you've just let things drift because you haven't taken active decisions whereas the flip side is also the same and frankly this is either this is working with a financial planner kind of forces you to do this or the planner actually does it themselves whereas if you're constantly making active decisions around your finances and around or anything else that you're conscious of if you're making if you're constantly checking updating, amending, taking an active interest in it, you can't help but basically try and continue to improve it over time. Um, and so it's just those small little active steps, absolutely, which build up over time and make a big, big difference. And I know that you work through what you describe as the three most important aspects of growing your money. What are those and, and how does that work? The three most important aspects of growing your money. So the, the book is really kind of split out into the into the three main parts and this is planning saving and investing and so and each of those are really kind of related and so the book really kind of takes people takes the reader through different ways to think about the planning different ways to think about their saving and different ways to think about investing with not only kind of some theory around why this part is important but then also some specific action points and so you know, the idea I've kind of talked about, let's say with the planning side, I talked about that already by thinking about the long-term goals, but then also, you know, when thinking about that retirement, okay, and connecting that long, connecting those long-term goals to physical financial numbers, okay, 
let's think about the number. What the, and the number is, is effectively saying, okay, how much am I going to have or how much do I need if I'm going to stop work at some point and I want to live my life by not having any other income or any other working earned income coming in, how much am I going to need in a pot to survive and do that? So that's kind of where the planning comes in as linked. From the saving side, this is more around now. So this is around the how, why we spend, how we spend, but coming up with uh, specific savings plans, but savings plans that can be linked to short-term goals. So short-term goals can be like, I literally want, um, you know, there's a new tennis racket that's just about to be launched, or there's, I've got a, um, my child's about to start nursery or, you know, something like that. You can link specific goals to short-term savings as well. So let's make sure we put some money away for that each month and let's put some money away for something else each month. And then let, frankly, let's use, this is our spending money. So let's put that all into our spend pot. And so that's the saving side. And then I, there's a couple of ideas around within there. Okay. Cause we each have a, what we look for is a monthly surplus. So you want to have more money coming in that you're spending. You know, that's rule 101 of finance. Okay, so what can we do to increase that surplus? Again, another really basic thing which people should do, and I, I don't do often enough, but it, we really should do it every six months, is a direct debit audit. I mean, how you know, the subscriber model of business has just gone everywhere. Everybody is paying direct debits for all sorts of things now. And if we lose control of that, you can, you, you know, we've all done it. You look at a bank account and you go, what, am I still paying for that? And then you kind of like, oh, now you try and cancel, it's a hassle. But if you can go and have a look every six months, just look at the direct debits and say, okay, do I really need that? Do I really need that? Do I, really, you know, do we really need Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney? I mean, I don't know, all of these. And you kind of think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I need all those. I mean, the gym membership's the classic, which everyone thinks of that, but it, there's more than that. And then the investment side is is about, is is around kind of thinking about the investment strategy, you know, thinking about, okay, and that's the investment strategy is actually, if you split it between short, medium, and long, the investment strategy actually becomes much easier because short term you leave in cash, long term you put in 100% equity, and then medium you kind of put somewhere in between, depending what your risk function is and, and what your or how you feel about risk and what you've got coming up and what your timelines are. So they're the three, you know, the, the book is really based around those three drivers or those three areas as the most important parts of planning and that's that's the important parts that, that we i do as a financial planner but it's also then the important part that frankly that like i said anyone can do you have any plans for for any more books adam at this point no because this one took me so bloody long to write <laughs> <laughs> no look i've got a couple of ideas and you know we're as, as someone who runs a business we've always got ideas on how we want to expand and other aspects and you know i think there's you know, a lot of this book, as I said, is kind of instilled. It's not just the last 10 years of actually running a financial planning business, but it's also the 10, 15 years before that of understanding how investment markets work. So, you know, there really is kind of everything of all my life's kind of work of understanding things is, is in this book. Um, so at this point, no, no particular planning for another book. Um, we'll keep doing the podcast. We'll keep you know, running the business, there's no other plans to, to change anything there. Um, but no, I don't know, for anyone who's ever tried to, re to write a book, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot longer than you think. Yeah. For anyone listening and thinking this guy knows his stuff, I want to download that book or grab a hard copy. Where, where's the best place to get their hands on it, Adam? 
Yeah, so the book is being released on 28th of November. Um, you can look at a number of different places. Either it's going to be on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Um, you can also look at my website, which is adamwalkham.com. That has a link where you can affect, you can pre-order the book through there. Um, and or you can look at, I mean, for all the other information, we you can look at my company site, which is Permanent Wealth Partners. So the, the, the website is permanentwealth.co.uk. Uh, and on there, you'll see all our free resources that we offer. We offer, we've got an ebook out called The Rules of Wealth, which I wrote a few years ago. And then we've also got guides for uh, people who are, let's say, management consultants or lawyers or business owners, specific guides there to help them as well. I especially like that quote that you had about the ship earlier, which in my world we call it is uh, sell the sizzle. Adam, thank you so much for, for being our guest. I'm sure the book will be a, a stocking filler for loads of folk this Christmas. Thanks for coming on to chat about it and all the best for the future. Now, um, as we always do, Phil, on your podcast, we take a look at how our subject matters affected your own life, both professionally and personally. So what do you want to focus on from today's show? Plan for happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading Plan for Happy. It's out later this week and I've I've also I've pre-ordered my copy. So I'm looking forward to it coming in the, the next day or two. Like Adam says, it's out the uh, 28th of November is, is when it's released. One question I had for you, Adam, was um, will the book also be available on audiobook on the likes of Audible and that sort of thing? Or is it just in, in like the hard copies at the moment? At this point, it's just going to be hard copy. Oh, well, it'll be, it'll be, sorry, when I say hard copy, it'll be um, uh, Kindle and paperback. Uh, at this point, no particular plan for an Audible. I'm not sure. Uh, Stephen Fry, I think, is busy um, to, to do the audiobook, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm available. I'm, I'm available, yeah. <laughs> I'm available. Okay, good. And I'm not sure how many people want to listen to my Australian twang in terms of reading it. But no, it's look, it's at this point, it is just going to be on Kindle and paperback. For your podcast as well, Adam, I know some of our listeners might be, be interested to, to look at that. But what's the name of your, your podcast that you yeah. have? Sure. It's called the Permanent Wealth Podcast. The principle really is around people helping people be healthy, wealthy and wise. And so we interview, I interview a range of different people ranging from fund managers to entrepreneurs. I have a couple of financial journalists on there. And generally it's talking about either investment markets, what going on what they're doing but also sometimes we've got a mortgage specialist who comes on talking about the housing market uh, i've had rory sutherland come on talk about behavioral psychology yeah so it's just a range of different interesting chats with yeah. really kind of interesting people I, I bought the book and um luckily for me i had typical tight scotsman and a 10 pound amazon voucher to use so i managed to get my copy for a bit less as well so that was good good, good financial planning Good well done for you, Phil. Thank you. <laughs> also in the podcast, a regular bit we delve into is uh, Phil's quote of the week. Being a fan, as Phil is, of influential and motivational sayings and quotes, what do you have this week on our topic of plan for happy, Phil? Yeah, Adam mentioned there, Rory Sutherland, who's the vice chairman of Ogilvy. So the quote of the week comes from, from him this week. A wonderful book. Financial planning is, when done properly, as much a question of philosophy and psychology as it is about economics and finance. It is always welcome to see someone recognise this. And that was a, a quote that he did reviewing the, the book Plan for Happy. 
Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if you ever want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask it anonymously if that's what you prefer. Let's get on to this week's uh, contact details in just a minute. I'll give it to you after this. Uh, the first one's from Angus in Dundee. Angus says, hi, Phil. I don't hear a lot of chat about the cost of living crisis anymore on the news, but I know for one, I'm feeling it. And by the looks of it, with all the strikes taking place, I'm not the only one. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? And how quickly? Wow, that's the... <laughs> How long is this piece of string? Yeah, uh, what do you think, it. Phil? And a lot of people are still feeling the squeeze due to interest rates having gone up. And I know the, the UK economy, it's kind of it flatlined in the, the three months to, to September. And the, the main reason for that was that higher interest rates. They've kind of hammered household spending and, and business investment. Inflation hasn't really came down by as much as I think they, they had hoped. So I think we've probably still got some some rocky times ahead. But it's funny you mentioned then that, that that's not been quite so in the news lately. Same with things like Ukraine-Russia situation. Yeah. You don't hear about that so much just now. But um, I don't know. I think the, the kind of the press and media kind of drive a, a lot of the agendas, do they? But I think there's still some some tough times ahead for for some. But one thing with tough times, it brings opportunity as well. That's that's a, another thing that I would say. Uh, yeah, newsworthiness is is what you're um, talking about there. Where someone that's putting together a news bulletin and has thirty minutes has to decide what's most important and what falls off the agenda, and that's where we are just now. Yeah. Next up, here's one from from Chloe who asks, "Hi Phil, can you please tell me why there's an insistence?" on having life insurance to secure a mortgage? Well, years ago, lenders would often make it a condition of the loan that you had to take out life insurance to protect a mortgage. However, that's not the, the case any longer. So if if they are saying that you've got to, if it's mandatory, that, that wouldn't be correct. Life insurance, it can be a valuable thing to consider, though. So it's certainly worth having a, a look at that. Remember as well, you, you can actually shop around for this. You don't need to take it out through your, your mortgage lender. So if you're dealing with a bank directly and they're trying to give you life insurance, probably worth having a, a shop around to, to see if you can get better premiums elsewhere and also sometimes better cover as well. And what was the old idea of it, Phil? Was it that it, presumably if you walk out and you know don't make it across the other side of the road, you would have insurance to pay off the remainder of the mortgage? Was that the idea of having life insurance? Yeah, I mean, life insurance will be more important for different people depending on their circumstances. I mean, if you've got a, a single person with no dependents, it's not going to be as probably important to them as maybe someone who's got a few kids, um, a mortgage to, to pay off so, or a partner. So so it all depends on your own circumstances as to what would be best for you. It's certainly something that's worth considering. But I would say as well as the younger you are when you take the likes of life insurance out, the more likely you are to be accepted. And also the, the lower the premiums are likely to be, the, the younger you are. So certainly worth speaking to a financial planner to, to have a look at that sort of thing. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because, well, we've covered a lot of topics now, episode 165, and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 165 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thanks again to our guest expert on Plan for Happy, Adam Walkham. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we were discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on
on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or you can email Phil a question that you can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks very much for, for coming on, Adam. Good luck with the, the book. I hope it all goes well. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. No, that was fun. It's good fun. Thanks, guys.